So there are some stories that I find absolutely fascinating. And one of them is the story about Arthur Orton. He is one of the most famous imposters in history. He tried to pass himself off as Sir Roger Tichborne in England during the Victorian era. And the story goes like this. Roger Tichborne was born into the British aristocracy in the year 1829. And as a young adult, he fell madly in love with his first cousin, Catherine Doty, and she loved him back. But their families were not happy at the prospect of the two first cousins marrying one another. Now, it's not clear whether Roger was sent away by his family so that the love he and Catherine shared could dissipate naturally over time, or whether he chose to leave England But the result was that in 1853, Roger Tichborne found himself on a boat traveling to South America. For 10 months there, he traveled and explored. The last positive sightings of Sir Roger took place in Rio de Janeiro, where on April the 20th, 1854, he boarded a ship called the Bella and headed for Jamaica. When pieces of the Bella were found at sea four days later, It was assumed that the ship had sunk along with all the crew and all the passengers. But Mrs. Tichborne, Sir Roger's mother, remained convinced that her eldest son was still alive. And she was encouraged in that by a psychic who told her it was so. So in 1863, she began placing ads in all these newspapers, offering a reward to anyone who had information about the fate of the Bella, or information about the whereabouts of Sir Roger Tichborne. Two years later, a butcher living in Australia and going by the name Thomas Castro came forward, claiming to be the long-lost Sir Roger Tichborne. Now, although Castro was shorter and wider than Tichborne was remembered to be, and although he did not know French, which had been Sir Roger's first language, and although he confused Greek with Latin, Still, Mrs. Tichborne was convinced that he was her son. She died before the identity of the man and the question of inheritance could be decided by a court of law. And later, Arthur Orton, who had used the aliases Thomas Castro and Roger Tichborne, was sentenced to 14 years in prison for perjury. So the question is, why wasn't it enough for a court of law that Mrs. Tichborne had, while living, recognized and accepted this butcher from Australia as her son, Roger Tichborne. So shouldn't that be enough for identification? Shouldn't that be enough to forego a year-long trial? Wouldn't we expect that a mother would be able to recognize her own son? Well, perhaps the jurors understood the incredible ability human beings have to delude ourselves to deceive ourselves, to live in denial, to not see the deepest reality all around us. Just think of Stephen Colbert's word, truthiness, which refers to the way we see certain ideas or concepts as true just because we want them to be true, despite any factual or historical or empirical evidence to the contrary. Human beings have a shocking capacity to live in a false world, to ignore the way things really are. 
We have as today's gospel reading the second half of the missionary discourse from the gospel of Matthew. And we heard the first part last week. In this passage, Jesus speaks of the way that the gospel, when truly heard, has the power to take what passes for truth in our society, to uncover it, and to reveal it as the fiction that it is. Jesus tells the disciples when he talks about them going from town to town proclaiming the gospel that nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. The gospel uncovers. It unveils all the many lies we tell ourselves. The lies about our own motivations and fears. And the lies we tell ourselves to fit into a society constructed around the concept of false power. Be that the power of Caesar in the first century Palestine, or the power of possessions and prestige and perceived security that we elevate in today's societies. Maybe you have had that experience where in a momentary flash you glimpse a whole new way of seeing things. It's like a conversion of sorts. And that change of heart, that change of the way we see things, can have to do with things about our very own selves or things about the world around us. Perhaps an outer piety is at last recognized as the antidote to a deeper shame that lies deep within us. Or perhaps our penchant for tidiness is not so much because we believe that cleanliness is next to godliness, but because we need to have control over our surroundings. Or perhaps we suddenly grasp that true power lies not with those who can kill the body, but with the one who lovingly knows the number of hairs on our head. Or perhaps we realize that God's grace and love does not work only in those of us who claim the Bible as our book, but that God is at work in the lives of each and every person. After all, it's been said that God has other stories too. Or perhaps underneath all the news headlines that pit Christians against Muslims and Republicans against Democrats and young black men against white police officers, maybe underneath all of that we glimpse for a moment the loving arms that encircle us all. Or perhaps despite a culture that teaches us to fear death to such an extent that we end up killing the spirit, we finally experience the freedom that comes from a deep trust in resurrection. All of these are conversions. The gospel at work in our hearts and our lives and our community uncovers all the false narratives that rule our thoughts and our actions. But here's the thing. The longest distance we travel is often the distance between one way of seeing the world and another way of seeing the world. The longest journey we take is often that of a change of heart and mind. And as Jesus knew... It's a distance so great that it can separate a man from his father or a daughter from her mother or a daughter-in-law from her mother-in-law or someone from his or her own family. Jesus says in this passage that he comes not to bring peace but to bring a sword. But a sword here is not necessarily just an instrument of violence. A sword is an instrument that divides, and that's what Jesus is talking about. 
Once we take the gospel to be the deepest truth about the world we live in and about the God who loves us all, then we can never be quite at home again in a world where tribalism, fear, shame, and coercion rule the day. Now, the nature of an assumption is that it's usually below the level of conscious reflection. So it might, I recognize, um, it might be a little bit hard to ask, to ask you to do this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. This week, I invite us to try to unearth some of the assumptions that determine how we live in this world. And when we unearth them and bring them to the light of day, what does the gospel have to say about those assumptions? Do we really allow our experience of God and of grace to inform our expectations of the world around us? Where in our lives do we need the gospel to uncover the falsehoods of our lives? This is work worth doing because as Jesus promises in the gospel, when we let the false narratives of our lives die, we find nothing less than abundant, grace-filled life.